and that's maybe not the kind of science that we want to promote. We want to promote more rigorous and thoughtful and perhaps slower science. Welcome to Reproducibility, an open science podcast featuring early career researchers. I am Jan. I am joined today by Helena. Hi, everybody. I'm Helena. I'm a postdoc at the German Center for Neurodegenerative Diseases. And before I was also helping with the reproducibility chapter in Cambridge. And Will. Hi, I'm Will, currently postdoc at the University of Chicago. Uh, I want to acknowledge that uh, I reside and work on the unceded lands of the Kickapoo, Peoria, Miami and Potawatomi nations and would like to thank them for their custodianship. Fantastic. And I'm a PhD fellow in Copenhagen. And um, guess what I brought today? It got more got more confusions or annoyances no, no. about Copenhagen? No, no. Today I brought a charging cable. So, <laughs> oh, nice. So nice, if nice. I drop out of the recording now, it was because you guys annoyed me too much. <laughs> okay, I'm glad. I'm glad you got that sorted. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you live and learn. Yeah. How, how are both of you, by the way? How are things? Doing well. Yeah, busy. Things Before are. a trip to the on. US for a conference. So that's very exciting. Oh, nice. Yes. Uh, and you, Jan? I'm having a trip to Hamburg soon for a conference. Oh, everyone's doing... It's conference season. I'm doing a trip yeah, to yeah. another conference soon, too. So Where to? Yeah, Where are you nice. going? Conference season. Go check out our conference episode, uh, oh. listeners, <laughs> after you listen to this oh, one. Oh, very cool. Uh, I didn't even know there was one. I will check that out later. <laughs> Prep. Yeah, nice. You, you uh, have not listened to every single episode, Helena? I have, I have not. I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I am now on one and before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of material to catch up yes. on. Uh, Where are you going, Will? You didn't say. Oh, yeah, Florida. The conf conf We should do another episode on conferences soon. This conference is the same, like, oh, it's annually in the same place, which, like, like I get it. Makes sense. You can have long-term deals with a venue, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Uh, it's cheaper. It's familiar. Uh, but... Oh my gosh, it's in Florida. Like Yeah, I was briefly afraid you said I was briefly afraid you were about to say we should make an episode about Florida and I'm not prepared for that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just I think I like the conferences that move around just because I think that's a little bit more inclusive. Yeah. Um, OHBM is fantastic when it comes to that. It's really great. Mm -hmm. We'll be in Korea mm -hmm. next year, so Oh, nice. Cool. cool, cool. I've always wanted to visit there. Well, now you can. Mm -hmm. So before this actually turns into another episode about conferences, yes. <laughs> we have another thing planned today. Um, today we have a little double feature episode. Our main course is going to be extra beefy, I guess, um, because we're talking about two papers onto a broader topic about research assessment. Um, I think, Will, you recommended the first one. Would you kind of yeah. start? Do you want to start talking about it? Yeah, it's uh, so I... Uh, I came across this uh, paper and thought it spoke directly to me, which was a very funny feeling. Um, so it's the the preprint is actually in response to two other articles. So to set the sort of context and the scene, I think in Germany, um, I think as a result of maybe the German Psychology Society meeting, um, they agreed on setting some research evaluations uh, so how to, how to assess, 
um, certain metrics for things to, um, in like hiring and promotion in psychology. And so they are based off something called the Declaration on Research Assessment. Uh, I think the website is https dot slash slash sfdora.org. Um, so that, uh, so that they wrote a commentary about how they're going to do that. And then this preprint that I want everyone to read, uh, is called, uh, responsible research assessment should prioritize theory development and testing over ticking open science boxes. Uh, it's Hannah Dames, Hannah Dames is the first episode and it's out of, um, Klaus Oberauer's lab. Um, and, uh, first, did I say first episode? First author, I meant. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And it's, I think it's a really great preprint because, um, it highlights theory development as an important part of research and that, uh, rigorous science or impactful science isn't necessarily, necessarily just doing it in terms of an open science. Like open science alone is not sufficient. Like mm. we really need to care about what's actually thought about in these, in the research. And so, um, people don't really think about that when they assess the research or evaluate how impactful research is. And I want to make sure I say that the preprint says not that is not saying open sciences are uh, open science practices are bad. They're just saying we need to think about theory development, like countermeasures on that end of things as well. So I really appreciated that uh, perspective. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a great, it's a really brief preprint, so a good, good one to pause the episode and have a read over uh, before you check out the rest of the episode. That sounds yeah. really good. I don't know. What did you think about the paper? Yeah, I actually uh, think it made such an important point, really. Like reading through it, I was like, oh, my God, uh, I I couldn't have said it like this eloquently. But it's something that sort of has been in the back of my mind quite a lot where I was like, well, it's basically just, again, adding another box. Um, yeah, which is quite annoying because we don't just want to add more boxes. We actually want to evaluate quality because then we might as well just replace the age factor uh, age index by something else so it definitely spoke mm. to me similar to what Will mm. was saying yeah i mean i think uh yeah there the, the main problem with the main proposal um that i think highlight here is that um the main proposal kind of argues for like an uh quote, quote unquote objective metric based first step and then a more mm. Um, qualitative second step. And the first step in the original proposal is primarily about um, not just your raw paper submissions, but all the stuff you do around it and a lot of open science things, um, which this preprint also, um, I think, agrees with that this is good, but... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just every time you propose a new metric, it will be immediately turned into a hollow, yeah, box to tick, right? Yeah. So let's let's set the context a little bit more. So one, so we currently have a big issue on how we um, evaluate research because typically people use heuristics like um, publication. Uh, number, like the sheer volume of publication, uh, the prestige of the publications. So like the venue at which 
um, these venues, uh, which these publications are published at. And they provide a heuristic. Like they don't provide a very good uh, metric of research quality at all. Not at all. Maybe just like it's not very, not very reliable. And like, if, let's say when it comes to hiring and promotion, uh, you're probably going to overhire for or overselect for those with resources or those who game the system to be, you know, more, um, to be more flashy, let's say. And that's maybe not the kind of science that we want to promote. We want to promote more rigorous and thoughtful and perhaps slower science. Mm. So that's, so I appreciate that um dora and um this the, the these initiatives to introduce more metrics like we do need them we need more mm. th- better thought out metrics um to evaluate research but at the same time we don't want to reduce it into more metrics to game or just boxes to tick which i think was the critical point of the preprint i talked about um and yeah it like it's a so like it's one part of the uh solution but we need more like things to we need a lot of things we need more diverse mm-hmm. you know metrics and solutions and yeah so i think uh that's good so not it's knocking all- the initiative just it needs refining mm-hmm. uh yes and i think especially the um the idea of looking at uh, prioritizing theory development and testing um, is a very novel approach in the context of um, uh, quality markers of your work. Um, I mean, the talk about that we are not really in a, well, we are in a replication crisis, but the reason for this is not just because we are fraudulent or doing malpractice but part of the problem lies deeper and that we are really bad at developing theory right that we are not um as anna shale wrote in one of her um papers we are not even wrong we are so poking in the dark that we cannot even say if we're wrong or not um so the idea that we have to improve theory that we have to uh, improve how we work with theory which is which is so hard just, you know, running a random experiment, separating people in two groups and running a T-test is so much easier than, like, doing really <laughs> theory-testing research. Um, so true. Um, but, um, but, yeah, it's it's very refreshing to see this at least proposed um, as something that you actually gain something back from aside the warm feeling of having done something for the community right yeah yeah definitely go, go ahead Elena. yeah thanks um yeah also just wanted to make sure that uh you know I, w- what i was saying about really uh, enjoying that point doesn't mean that i don't also agree with with um the proposals that were made before just like you were saying, using them in the way that people just don't continue to game the system. But yeah, when it comes to theory development, my opinion is pretty much the same as yours. Although one point does come to my mind when, you know, they, again, the whole gaming the system thing is, of course, always a concern in any system where where people have to beat out others to get ahead. And so in terms of, you know, sort of what do we say 
kind of helps with theory development? Will it be a paper that a person published and was like, I'll propose theory X? Or is it a computational framework for something? Where do we say, okay, that's a valuable theoretical contribution? And not, you know, this is a minor change to an already existing theory that then somebody is like, oh no, but this one thing I'm changing. And so I'm going to call it another uh, theory, which is now my theory. Um, because looking back at some of working memory and long-term memory research, sometimes it does feel like people sort of have been doing that every now and then. So mm -hmm. that just came to my mind, um, thinking about my field. The, the old joke that a theory is like a toothbrush, right? <laughs> Everybody uses their own. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'm going to go on a longer rant, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, totally agree. Um, and I think, you know, how to evaluate impact of theory or like the theory development in a paper is to read the paper. Yeah, <laughs> so papers need to be read to see how impactful it is. And one sign of the theory development is if it like changes people's minds or provides people like the reader a new perspective, like this kind of stuff is important. And maybe, um, you know, I don't think across science we have enough people integrating different perspectives, trying to unify them or also trying to see where they're incompatible so then you can test where the you know premier current models are competing against each other rather than straw manning each other's models and trying to claim that your model is the best one <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, which is not the way to do it um gonna talk about my old friend paul fiharabend from the first episode um but yeah um jan put it very well like Models are like toothbrushes or theories are like toothbrushes. We don't want to use each other's. <laughs> and so another way to evaluate theory development is how strongly they do perform what I refer to as counter-induction or what Paul referred to as counter-induction, how well you build up everyone else's models, how well you um, try and strengthen each model to mm -hmm. then have a, you know, impactful, insightful comparison rather than, say, use the formula of run a null hypothesis significance test even though the theoretical question is not a dichotomy, even though A versus B makes no sense in the field or really is not the question that you want to answer, mm -hmm. and running a t-test and saying your p-value proves one way or other, that's not rigorous theory development, really. Mm -hmm. That's just collecting p-values for the sake of collecting p-values for the sake of getting a paper. Maybe the phenomena, empirical phenomena, is interesting, but um, it's more impactful if you frame the empirical phenomena in terms of a theoretical framework so that people understand why this empirical phenomena is interesting or whether it's valuable. So yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I've been working on this myself. Uh, like, for example, I wrote a recent paper, a preprint, trying to provide what I called a theory map, which is the in the preprint I'm, I was saying, hey, like we're all kind of talking past each other and um, we're recycling the old debates that isn't really getting us anywhere. Like let's mm -hmm. try and create a unified map, like a map so we can say we are here or this is what I'm talking about um, and then going on from there. But we'll see. That's I don't really know. cool. That's I mean, so I'm also fun. working. 
I'm, I'm also working on this um, intersection um, with human-computer interaction. We are, uh, I think we kind of see ourselves as more or less an applied science, but we have a lot of research, pra um, sorry, design practice as well. So we really run the gambit from almost basic research all the way down to industrial implementation of things. And it is a huge issue between information just really not flowing because um, people work with theory so badly. You Oftentimes when some theory is proposed, you try to implement it in practice and you end up not knowing what you're actually doing because there is such a wide range of interpretations you could lie onto it. And likewise, then if you implement theory a certain way, kind of tested in an in a you know in my case often a game um and your results come back inconclusive you it is so hard to then link that back to theory because maybe it wasn't supposed to apply here in the first place it is it is a huge um it is a huge dark room right the dark room looking for a black cat that is or isn't mm. there so mm. we kind of um, need a theory about how to be good about coming up with and applying theories <laughs> so exactly. one theory well, to rule science. them all <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah like one one of the weaknesses of psychology is we don't have like a general theory mm -hmm. right like mm. maybe in this like physics where we have a general theory of relativity, which we can anchor a lot of our findings or research to. It, it, psychology is young and may not have gotten there. You know, but, but then in, in, in storytelling, you have the one hero with a thousand faces and see where that got us, right? <laughs> I don't know if one universal theory is a good thing to work towards. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I like diversity of ideas and perspectives and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but... I think people, I think it's important for maybe, uh, let's say our early career audience to know that people are working on that. Um, I wrote a, I provided a reading list for reproducibly exactly on theory and psychological sciences, which you should also go read and check out. Um, Always be plugging. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people gotta know. People gotta know what the resources are so they can go out and find them. Absolutely, um, it's going to be linked down below. <laughs> uh, uh, and but yeah, uh, I just want to highlight um, uh, a couple papers from that uh, list. So um, the first uh, first paper in that list is by Iko Freed, who's been doing a lot of work encouraging theory development. And that paper explains exactly what models and theory, like what formal models and what theories are and how, how they're different and how they're linked together and so on and so forth. And, and it's actually an, a paper that's, uh, starts like a special issue exactly on theory development. So it's a good gateway into trying to like find resources that you need about, um, this stuff. And the last one I want to plug is Denny Borsboom and some other authors maybe who created something called a theory construction methodology. TCM. And, uh, it's fairly, it's like a five step process, uh, which I can't remember off the top of my head. But the point is that you try and find connections from phenomena to theory to data back to theory back to phenomena. So there's like a cycle and a, like a connected integrating framework that you work in within to make sure your, your, for example, your experimental design is 
based on a theory and to make sure your data, you know, allows you to make an inference about said theories and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, people are working on it. We maybe will reach, um, you know, we'll be out of the dark ages of psychology soon if all of us start thinking about this a little bit more. <laughs> um, nice. So Baroque hard. psychology. <laughs> yeah, forward to that. Um, we, have another, <laughs> we have another paper um, talking about the validity of um, how to, you know, look at the validity of empirical research, which is our second main topic today. Yeah. Helena, do you want to introduce the paper? Yes, absolutely. So this is a paper that, oh, now this is going to be, I'm going to feel incredibly sorry about possibly butchering the last name. Um, because I, yes, yeah, so Shiavon, I'm not sure. Sarah Shiavon? Yeah, I think it's Sarah Shiavone. Shiavone, okay. Yes. Um, well, feel free to either edit this or, you know, have me look like... I obviously don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to pronouncing people's last names. That was already a theme from the last uh, podcast episode as well. <laughs> the, the defense is, you know, you've only ever seen the names written, so how could you possibly know? Yes, that so. is true. Well, in any case, I thought this was a really neat idea, and I really liked the way they went about it as well. And the paper is called A Consensus-Based Tool for Evaluating Threats to the Validity of Empirical Research. So the idea here is that, um, well, I mean, if, if we're lucky as scientists, at some point, people will start to send us um, papers to review. And peer reviewing, obviously, is an integral part of being a scientist and contributing to the advancement of science. But also, in a way, you just have so much responsibility that was given to you in that moment. And your judgment uh, really has to be sound. And in, in one way that this tool might be helpful is to think about, well, when you are reviewing a paper, what is it ultimately that we want to get out of research? And what is it that is really necessary when it comes to uh, saying whether a paper um, is worth publishing? And so they were saying, well, there have been checklists that other journals have implemented so far, um, you know, BMJ and um, like there's the Strobe checklist and all that. And um, those are really good and have definitely led to some uh, improvements, but they don't directly uh, evaluate the validity of the research. So the methods, the design, the analyses and the inferences drawn. So um, obviously when we're talking about validity, does the study actually adequately test the question that it put forth and are the data analyzed appropriately and are the conclusions and the statistical um, kind of inferences done well? And so they set out to exactly do that and put together a sort of like a resource that people can then use. And they did this on the basis of a, a Delphi consensus. So had, uh, yeah, I think around 50 or so experts um, give insight and they use this um, for validities framework um, where they're saying, well, there's construct validity that we want. So does the study actually measure what it wants to measure? Then the internal validity. Are the claims about the causal relationships correct? And the statistical 
validity, obviously, you know, <laughs> all of the previous two bits could be great, but then maybe you're using crap statistics. Uh, pardon my language. <laughs> and uh, then <laughs> the final one is external validity. And uh, so the generalization to um, the outside world mm. beyond the study. And so they come up with this seaboat uh, uh, little tool that you can use right now if you wanted to. It's very easy um, to just type in seaboat in your browser.io and you can already um, get going. It leads you through the whole thing very uh, smoothly. Um, yeah, so that was really cool. I don't know if you guys have maybe had a look at it. Yeah, I've, um, it's a shiny app, I think. And yeah, it's cool. It's like a nice little, nice little interface that you can click through and add ratings to each of the like components, uh, and, um, download and export out into a, into a, you know, HTML or text or whatever to add into your review. I, yeah, big fan. I think I'm going to start using it when I get my next review request. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Actually, yeah. I really do want to use that as well for, and also kind of. Going back to what we were saying earlier, actually, if one were to set out and develop their own theory, then evaluating whether a given paper can pr prove or disprove parts of the theory could also be done with a tool like this. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, my my pet peeve is seeing people use null hypothesis significance testing and they set it up as a, set up their paper as a dualistic sort of Uh, it must only be theory A or theory B. Mm -hmm. There's no other possibilities in the world. <laughs> and then they show it's not theory A. And then they're like, aha, it must definitely be theory B. Uh, like, so, you know, simply going through this, like, checklist can help identify those kind of situations, sort of, you know, temper the inferences that are made from papers. Uh, and yeah, encourage the authors to think about what their positions are like to make them in your review you can say reflect on these please reflect on your construct validity like what what mm. justifies your decisions here for example stuff like that so yeah i love that yeah i run into so many papers though where they start out so vague about theory they are working with where i sometimes struggle starting to trying to evaluate these validities because I'm not really sure like where are we in the first place mm -hmm. uh, yeah but I mean that's not the problem with the tool I mean that is a pretty quick reject anyways usually yeah. because then just hey you need to you need to start this part over again and come back when you actually know what you're doing I think actually yeah, can, can. sorry go ahead oh no no I'm, it's a little slight jab at can we talk about some people using peer review as like a revision process like like they submit their their paper as a they submit their paper to a journal but they know they haven't like fully like committed like completed it yet they're just looking for feedback so they send the paper into the journals get the reviewers and then they're uh. like oh we've got all these comments now we can like write it a bit better I've never If done that. If anyone does that, you're part of the yeah. I've never If done you do that, that, you're part of the problem. <laughs> I agree. That is, ugh, I mean, you know, scientists already are so stripped for time. So doing that, just man, don't don't hurt your fellow scientists, please. I mean, yeah. so far I've only met people who had this senior people who had this research strategy. Yeah, we have eight papers who are ready. I feel good about two of them. Let's submit all of them and see how the dice roll. 
Whoa. which just yeah no wonder nobody wants to do peer review anymore uh, yeah right <laughs> <clears throat> but um yeah to to uh, add to what Jan was saying about um sort of the the kind of laying out the theory theory is very muddy i guess just one kind of important check is have you actually described what predictions you should be testing if you wanted to confirm or disprove or the theory if you haven't done that then that's already kind of failing the very first aspect of what a theory should allow you to do in the end and mm. and how to go about collecting evidence for or against it yeah it like we so in the psychological sciences we need to curb this sort of idiosyncratic like nature of science like i know it's, it's i mean yeah so two two i have two parallel thoughts at the moment uh which is rare for me but here we, there we go <laughs> um so we don't want like one problem is we don't want people doing like exciting research just because they think it's exciting right like or you know let's say neuroscience like Neuroscience is very alluring, seductive, or let's say machine learning, like applying mm. machine learning to whatever um, data they have. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's exciting and potentially useful, potentially impactful. And we don't really want to curb that. Like, we don't want people to stop being exploring and stop trying new stuff. Like, we like that. But we don't want only to do that we don't want people only doing that <laughs> um so we want to curb sort of people collecting these sort of empirical values without having a core understanding without a core theoretical framework that binds them or that like provides a context or a perspective to what they're doing otherwise we end up with just a collection of p-values in all of our scientific journals yeah some of which may not even replicate and I mean, even um, a lot of exploratory work in the end, if you do not tie it back properly to a bigger framework, it is impossible to find for other people to then use your exploratory findings to, you know, hone in on an effect you might have proposed, mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, I do a lot of um, qualitative work. Um, well, close to qualitative work, I think uppercase Q qualitative people um, would disagree that my work is truly qualitative, but a lot of this exploratory asking people what they think. And if I just collect their random thought, that is not going to help anyone. I have to kind of link this back and say, oh, this could say something about this theory that we might have this effect wrong. I cannot prove this yet. Well, no, you can never prove it. Sorry. You know, I don't have empirical mass data to show this problem yet but there might be something here if you leave this out yeah you have some cool quotes from participants but that doesn't help you <laughs> or well it might help you but not might not help the next person yeah yeah i like i think sometimes this this might be very cynical of me <laughs> but maybe sometimes scientists need to be reminded like what we really want to achieve is to change people's minds and like forge new knowledge in the world. Yeah. Like we don't, yeah. maybe it's not just like 
playing the system, making it to professors because you've done a bunch of papers. It's like, ha- like trying to find out something new or trying to confirm something that you're passionate about that you've fallen into in terms of your research, trying to really make an impact about what that is, right? Yep. Like if you go into a paper or an experiment just hoping it's cool, fine, say it is. Say it's <laughs> like, I thought I, I tried this because it's cool. Like I don't really know what the theory is, but state that in the paper. Don't try to make some grandiose claim about how things are. Um, like think about if, if you really want to make an impact, like if you really want to have a... Uh, let's say i don't know i i hate this heuristic but leave your mark on the world then Mm -hmm. like you should be thinking about what other people are thinking therefore you should be thinking about what theory drives you and your perspective and your research before you do some idiosyncratic thing trying to find something cool right like i don't know that's it just seems really bankrupt not to do that (laughs) and if the rules proposed by dames at all get adopted for hiring you might even get something out of it yeah Woo. right um i would kind hope. of <laughs> um, i would kind of like, like to lead us into our um hidden curriculum item for the day um which builds on what we've just discussed peer review how to do peer review because at least talking to my uh, talking for myself i was never really officially taught how to do it the closest no. I've got was to rule, uh, to getting essays from other students and being told to do a peer review on it. And then, you know, you mark grammar errors. Yeah, I think no one is really trained on peer review. No. Um, it's assumed that we can, like, critically evaluate um, all papers that are put in front of us. Mm. But maybe not. And that's... Maybe a little concerning considering peer review is maybe the one of the only countermeasures we have in science, like one of the quality control checks. A little sidebar is that maybe our incentive systems aren't so bad in the sense that if we only had more countermeasures to make sure those incentives were given to the right people, like that would be fine. <laughs> like mm. maybe it's fine to reward high publication volume and high prestigious publications if we had enough countermeasures to make sure those incentives were doing were aligned with the right things. Mm. Kind of like you don't want people running marathons without guides or, or things marking out the course because people will shortcut the course, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We just need more guards to align the race. Um, Helena, you look like you wanted yeah. to say something. Yeah, actually, just now, as you were both saying this, I was sort of because, you know, in, in the notes, it was saying, maybe, how do you do peer review? And so I was sort of, you know, thinking about, obviously, I was also never taught how to do this. The, the closest thing I came to anything like that was, you know, Elsevier being like, oh, here's our guide to early career researchers on how to peer <laughs> review. And I was like, oh, well, thanks. At least there is something. But Thank yeah. you, devil. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, did it say press accept so we get more money? Maybe I accidentally signed on to some kind of like $500 uh, training course. I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, what are, what are my, do I have a principle about peer review? And I think I was sort of thinking, well, what is the very first thing when it comes to peer review, well, you, you just get to see an abstract. And oftentimes I find that 
I mean, I know why, obviously, but oftentimes I find it very frustrating because I'm like, I honestly don't know whether I'm suited to peer review this. And I don't want to accept mm. peer review requests if I am not certain that I have the expertise to actually evaluate this properly. So, for example, if the authors use a method that I have never heard about or have never used myself and I really don't know anything about it, and I know that it's a centerpiece of their paper... I typically will reject, I mean, I will reject the invitation and say, I don't feel that I'm fit to review this, even though maybe the general topic like memory or, you know, cognitive neuroscience definitely does fit within um, my expertise. And so I was sort of like, well, is that something that people are ever taught? Like, what is the threshold at which you decide, oh, I'm, you know, I'm actually qualified to take this on or better not because i might make things worse hmm. uh yeah i i think your uh, key uh notion that you're bringing up is that we don't know what everyone else is doing and so there's no norms or standards really with peer review mm -hmm. and um if you've been part of the peer review process you see it all the time you see so typically i think my word count for my peer reviews is like reaches a thousand words And the majority of the time, I see people writing like two paragraph reviews mm -hmm. saying something like, yeah, it looks fine. Maybe fix this thing. Uh, and you really don't get the sense that the review was done in a rigorous manner, which mm -hmm. is, um, which doesn't fit with my notion of science. Scary. Uh, overall. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just like plugging myself a lot in this <laughs> podcast. Um, I wrote a blog post where I detail each step of my peer review process um, in the hopes of getting feedback on it. Like I wanted people to read it and say, oh, uh, I don't think you should be doing this. Or, oh, um, I like how you're doing this. This is how I do it. And I really didn't get that much feedback on it. Most, a lot of people were like, yeah, this is good. Or I do something very similar. So number one, I have a little faith in how peer review is being conducted Sort of. Not a lot, but a little bit. I've, there's a glimmer of hope. But yeah, so I wrote this peer review process as a way to try and demystify what goes on. Like imagine the, the first gen early career researcher like I was at some point, not knowing, like I just thought submitting my paper to the journal was the end of it and go to two, you know, appropriate reviewers who will do their due diligence to try and help me with the paper, not just try and destroy me. Like, not destroy me, but like, you know, like just try and look for everything that they could that goes wrong. Because that's also not productive. Um, it's only much later that I learned how that process was going. So I wrote that peer review process paper. It's freely available to cite and read and what, what not. So that's great. Um, but I we'll detailed each step, including the acceptance of, um, the papers to, um, like what I think about, like, for example, I think about whether my workload is too much at the time sure. for me to really put in effort to do a proper review. Mm. Uh, I mentioned that I've mentioned, I mentioned that I've recorded the time that I take to write my reviews. So I've been using a time tracker to um, estimate how many hours I spend on each thing. And on average for a first round review, I spend about 10 hours in total split wow. over a few days for like reading and stuff like that. Yeah, um, and I'm also one of those people who uh, just try and reproduce all the analyses, try to get all the open data. I don't know. I 
something about me is wrong. No, that's、oh, really cool. I、oh. mean, I, I <laughs> wish I wish scientists were doing that more because you know, reproducibility crisis could have been, if not completely avoided, but certainly mitigated quite a bit if that was part of the peer review process. Yeah, I mean, frankly, if you could not reproduce the analyses.、Um, Maybe because they didn't provide, you know, the data and stuff, which still happens a lot. How can you actually, like, honestly recommend this paper? You couldn't see if what they claim is true, right?、Um, oh, I was so annoyed、um, doing a review recently.、Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty liberal with like data sharing and stuff. I say, hey, in order for me to recommend this paper, I need to look at the data. Best case、uh, analysis scripts and reproduce it,、um, but you know, at the end of the day, not my decision. And this outlet doesn't have any hard rule for this, so you know, I still review what I can with the、mm-hmm. big caveat.、Um, but I'm still asking, like, hey, if you don't want to make it public, fine, but you know, give it to me as a reviewer. You know, limited distribution.、Um, Uh, and even then, sometimes the answer is like, "No, this is not requested, or this is not required."、Mm. So, mm, you know,、um, or yeah, yeah, we're going to make it public after publication, which、mm. is also a classic. Yeah. Before we finish, oh, sorry, no, go ahead.、Hannah. Oh yeah, one thing I wanted to say to that is that、um, obviously it is great to share data, and that's the preferred option. The problem is, though, that in some fields it can be really difficult to do so.、Um, for example, if you're working on neuroimaging data, that's just oftentimes infeasible, especially if you're working on clinical data. Like all the data that I'm working with、yes. right now, I'm not even allowed to, you know, get it anywhere、mm. out of、uh, <laughs> out of this place.、Um, so、mm. that's that's a real shame. But、um, yeah, maybe in the future, things like、uh, yeah, maybe there are options. I mean, I once heard that. I, I once heard that at least limited distribution for、yeah. like review purposes,、um, which isn't really distribution. You're just、mm-hmm. giving access to another person, as if there is another person on your research team,、uh-huh. which you know I heard is more possible than making data publicly available. But、um, yeah, yeah, even then you might end up with you know suddenly NDAs clogging up your. I was gonna say process, if you which, work in Germany. Your, your life is going to be much harder because the data sharing aspect. Well, given how they are going to change the employment for、um, academics in in Germany, that might soon be a non-issue because you can't work there anymore anyway. Exactly. <laughs> Unless you are a full professor with, within three years,、um, but that's a different episode.、Yeah. I think. Anyways,、um, I briefly want to close out with、um, two tools I want to recommend if you are having to do peer review. If you don't know them already, one of them is StatCheck.io by、um, Sasha Epskamp and Michelle Nuiten.、Um, StatCheck.io, you upload a PDF or you just type in、um, uh, the statistics, the test statistics. Yes, thank you.、Um, if you're using StatCheck Quick by Steve Herosh, 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 yeah, Herosh, he has the pronunciation、Herosh. of his of his name on his website actually, and I. <laughs> Forgot it already again. <laughs> Apologies. It is very great. You can quickly check if p-values that are reported are correctly、um, reported, given to test statistics. 
Um, and the second test I want to um, recommend, which is a bit more um, uh, niche, I think, is the Grim Test by um, Heathers and Brown, I think. Sounds about right. Let me quickly James, double check. James Heathers, Nick Brown. Um, yes, yes, Nick Brown and James Heathers. Yeah. Um, it basically, depending on how many, how many items you have on a scale, only certain mean values are possible. And this test lets you dis, uh, detect um, if the mean values that are reported are possible, especially in small sample size studies, which is one of those cases that um, you in modern things you rarely find something. But apparently, especially in older papers, you can suddenly see that something just doesn't add up because they reported mean values which are mathematically impossible. Mm. Okay, yes, two tests. Um, I like to, you know, quickly run over a paper every time I get one to review, which um, I think covers a lot of um, very obvious mistakes people can make. Yeah, um, and you can run those on your own paper. Like, yes. you can run statcheck.io on your manuscript just to make sure you've reported the p-values correctly. Um, yes, I've done that several times as well. Yeah, nice. yeah, it's a nice, nice double check. I think a lot of us have a, you know, fear that we've, copied over oh, something God, wrong yes. or have a typo and um yes. it doesn't like so stat check does that for us i'm still tool, trying to tool. get my, my whole lab on writing in our markdown so i can just have my, all my analyses right in the paper so i don't have to manually type it at all but until that happens yes stat check is a great way to double check yeah. uh, get rid of that with that paranoia <laughs> i certainly do <laughs> um although just one very quick note that i wanted to say yes. um about peer review one thing that i was sort of thinking that might help editors as well because most likely if you're only inviting two or three peer reviewers not every single one of them will be familiar with um you know will have expertise in all the aspects that a paper is going to touch upon so I think in Absolutely. the future, and I haven't done this before, but I think now, having discussed this, I will very clearly state w how confident I am that I can properly evaluate the different aspects in the paper and then tell the editor and also, you know, the, the authors to be like, well, um, I'm uncertain about this aspect because I don't have the technical expertise. And as a result, if there's another reviewer who comments on this, um, then obviously that's incredibly important. But mm. if neither of yep. the to those two reviewers has expertise in this particular method that they're using, get another one because then clearly yep. you should not be confident. Maybe this is something that journals might want to consider asking their reviewers. Totally. With that, I'm going to start the outro because um, my time in this room is going to run out. Yeah, let's start with Will. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter while it still exists at Will Nyam, Will underscore Nyam. Uh, also on Mastodon. Uh, and yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's the best place to keep track of where, what I'm doing or what I'm thinking about. Perfect. Helena? Yeah, same here. Also mostly active still on Twitter, but you know, things can change there. My Twitter handle is, uh, H Gellerson. And then it's Helena Gellerson at Feddy Science. Uh, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm, I'm rarely active on Twitter anymore. Um, you can find me best on Mastodon these days where it's, uh, Fonhagen, JB at HC, HCI.social. And for more information, as always, go to reproducibility.org. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Please send through any voice clips, questions. You can reach us at 
our global Twitter account at reproducibility, reproducibility with just the letter T, uh, or any of other our other channels where our Slack workspace or so on and so forth, where we're Absolutely. eager to hear what you think. Yeah. And um, yeah, consider um, doing your own journal club because last pro tip, um, journal clubs where you discuss papers, actually really good practice for critically reading papers for peer review. And with that, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening and bye. Bye. Bye, everyone.